The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Matthew 7, 12 through 23. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. For those who enter by it are many. And the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, exclusivity. I don't want to come across as narrow-minded. I don't want to come across as bigoted because this is the labels we've had, right? We've heard all these statements. All major religions are equally valid. They all have great teachings and basically said the same thing. Lots of intelligent and good people differ with the Christian viewpoint. So it's arrogant to claim that a Christian beliefs are the only way or nobody can know for certain whose religion is true. So Christianity can't claim that it's the only true way just as much as anything else can. Right? We've all faced those questions. We've all, you know, been in, in, a, in a meeting or in a, in a, on an airplane or someplace where we've had these discussions. And people have asked me before, what do you miss about, as I watched that video, what do you, what do you miss? Is there anything you miss about uh, being on campus? And I'll tell them the one thing that I really miss, one of the biggest things, is just the compression of of ideas, the compression of people asking these questions and talking about them. And, and, and over and over, the difficulty that we have in, in our culture and society of bringing up even a moment where we could exclusively hold some belief and then automatically there's relationship avoided. And so what have we done? Most of our world and our culture now has said, don't bring those things up. We need to, you know, regulate some sort of belief because you can't prove it. So you can't, you can't, we've got to regulate belief in some, or remove it somehow. You've got to regulate it. It needs to be private. You just don't need to talk to anybody about it, right? I mean, I've seen this in my own family, talking to family members of my own who may, may, may not be Christians and and to talk, and we have discussions, and they say, look, this is just too much, I can't, and we've avoided the, they will intentionally avoid the conversations with me, because they just don't want to talk, because it's too much about, I don't know, we've been trained to not talk about these things, because they get touchy, because we think that this is what creates divisiveness. I love Leslie Newbegin, who's an incredible thinker, wrote a book called The Gospel in a Pluralistic Society. Here's how he puts it. He says, in a world threatened with nuclear war, 
a world facing global ecological crisis, a world more and more closely bound together in its cultural and economic life, a paramount need for us is unity and an aggressive claim on the part of one of the world's religions to have truth for all can only be regarded as treason against the whole human race. And isn't that how it feels? I mean, even talking about this a little bit, you know those conversations you've had to think about, I don't know if I could ever bring this up. Or maybe the ones where you've been burned or, or, or maybe you're sitting in here and maybe you have been burned or cynical now even sitting and listening to this. I think we need to address these questions honestly because Christianity is saying something true about exclusivity, but it's also saying something that's not true about it that I think we need to see specifically from these passages because it, it helps us address, and I want you to hear as a Christian minister what it means to address what does the gospel, what does the Bible really say to us and equip you that would say you follow Jesus and those of you that would say you're burned and cynical and bored or trying, trying on this Christianity again to think through these categories. The first is being consistent, that we need to be consistent about what path we're on. The second is being congruent about what we believe And the third is that Christ is. Being in Christ really is a huge, like, fastball. It's a determining factor in this whole thing. Now, let's look at this. There's kind of three breakdowns of this passage. If you look in your Bible or on your phone, you'll see even they kind of break it up. This is actually the end of what's called Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And he finishes his sermon, which is this incredible teaching. You could think it would finish with verse 12, because that's actually what, what... it would, many would look at and say, well, that's kind of the end. The golden rule <clears throat> sums up the law and the prophets, right? Sums it all up. Here's the golden rule. But actually, he goes further to talk about exclusive authority that he holds. He ends it with his authority, his ex- exclusive voice being known. And what Jesus is saying right out of these first uh, few verses, especially 13 and 14, when he says, enter by the narrow gate, For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it by are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. He's two gates. The first thing we should notice is that Jesus is wanting us to be consistent. He's wanting us to say, you are on a path. You don't know every path. You are on a path. You claim that everybody claims a path. There is a place that we are all on. And, and most people look at this and they go, okay, okay, th- this is the first passage you, you could just throw out there and say, well, this is that exclusive Christianity. Well, Jesus is actually saying every claim we have is exclusive. See, by, by claiming that, many t- people say, well, I don't have, you don't have exclu- exclusive truth. A lot of people use illustrations and discuss exclusive claims and exclusive narrow-mindedness in a way from their own position that's very inconsistent. You may have heard this illustration before. There's one of many. There's one of, there's a a mountain. There are many paths up the mountain. They all reach the top. But there are a lot of them. And we all have maybe our own path. And maybe they're, but they're all on the same mountain. We all are kind of have some claim of the same mountain. But we're all maybe on a different path to the top. It will all reach it eventually, right? Fairly common, easy, simple claim. There's another one that's an older one that's about an elephant uh, and, and a group of blind men. And essentially, a king is sitting in a room, and he asks all of these blind men to 
describe the elephant, to reach out. Some grab the tail, so it feels like a rope. Some touch the side, it feels like, oh man, something massive, like the side of a, of a building. And others grab the leg, it feels like a giant stool, something just profound, like a tree trunk. Well, the other thing is that they all have a piece of the elephant, right? They all have a part of the elephant, but no, no, nobody has the whole elephant, right? But what we don't think about with these you know, narratives, these stories, these illustrations is who's seeing the whole mountain? Who's seeing the whole elephant? It's usually when we talk about that, we say it from a vantage point of saying, well, nobody has the, the claim on truth. We all have a piece. It's someone who has the claim of seeing the whole mountain or the whole elephant. And that in and of itself is claiming an exclusive truth. It's claiming an exclu- exclusive uh, absolute right there. That someone holds everything and knows it and has the vantage point that no one else does. And because you don't hold that vantage point as that same person, well, isn't that being excluded for the same reason? that You see the inconsistency. We all do it. In, exclusive is everywhere. Look, why the narrow gate though? Why does Jesus go with narrow here? It's narrow because it's costly, not because it's hard to get in, not because everybody finds it and it's just like I was reading Robert Frost's famous poem on, on the two paths the, and the road less traveled. It's not that. It's not that he looked and he said, you know what, I'm gonna take the one less traveled. It's actually more costly to go down or be on this path. In fact, the Old and New Testament use this very metaphorically to talk about that, this. One on a public path becoming known and his purposes and goals are revealed by the actual road they're taken. That's what it means. It means to take this path actually reveals who you are and that everybody is on it. Everybody has one. Everybody makes a choice of that and everybody is there. It's a way in this passage of salvation. It's a way of choosing in one exclusion over the other. And the question isn't, are you on a path? It's what is your path? What is it? Because we all have one. We all are excluding one thing for another. It's easy to think about that, right? Look, this even says one path leads to destruction, one leads to life. It's easy to talk about the word exclusive as in all of bad things, negative, destructive. But we make exclusive choices every day that lead to life. Exclusion isn't just a bad word. Think about this. If you want to be a good athlete, you have to say no to a lot of things. You have to say no to certain foods. You have to say no to certain certain parties, certain things of going out so you can get good rest. You have to say no to certain other activities so you can work out, take care of yourself. Any relationship that you're in has, if you don't have healthy boundaries, if you don't, aren't able to say no in a relationship, you don't have a healthy relationship. It, it, it would be a train wreck if, if every relationship is everything was said yes, then we wouldn't have any sort of boundary of understanding how to love one another. Think, think about being a good parent. Being a good parent, if we said yes to everything to children and they didn't know no, then how would they know life? Look, I was just having a conversation with my son, a great conversation. Uh, I think it was last night, two nights ago. And we were talking about the difference between can I do this or should I do this? And he said, I can do, I can do all these things. And I said, you can, but should you? You can run in the street as much as you want when a car's coming, but should you do that? You can jump in a pool and not know how to swim, but should you do that? 
There's a lot of those, a lot of exclusive things that we do throughout all of our day and both small and large choices lead to life. What Jesus is getting at here is that there is one that leads to full life. He's saying we need to be consistent that we all are exclusive, that we all hold exclusive claims, that we all do this, that not one person is or another. We need to be consistent in the way that we understand that we are all on a path that we've all chosen, and that we need to be wise about that, especially when we talk to people who may or may not agree with where we are, that we hold ourselves in a way of, well, exclusivity, but also knowing that we're all exclusive. It it is easy to look at Christianity, and let's talk about so many things that are going on across the world being prayed for for us. Just in religion, religion is exclusive. As I was trying to encourage even my friend who was uh, at the synagogue, that to hold exclusive claims, you do hold them simply by claiming that you are Jewish or that I am Christian, and it's okay. The world runs on exclusivity. It's the basis for that exclusivity that we talk about. And how does it produce? What comes from it? Because in here you see this. It's, it, it jumps right next to the, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inward really are ravenous wolves, right? Then he'll recognize them by their fruits and he, he launches into this fruit category. It's talking about what is outside matches inside, right? There's a congruence. That it's not just a path, it's being consistent knowing that we're all exclusive. Okay, let's, let's first work off a level playing field here, that we're all doing that. And Christ makes exclusive claims. He's making that. But how do we behave? Isn't that the biggest charge, right? I mean, the struggle that people have Especially, and this is the thing that I heard from my Jewish friend as well as I hear from so many people that my family who back off from any sort of conversations religiously is that they want unity. Let's just not rock the boat. Can we just kind of, if we remove or reduce religion in any way, especially Christianity, especially for those of you in this room that have been burned or are cynical or look at it as if this non-tolerant, bigoted, you know, type of religion, if we just remove that, then we can actually have harmony in relationships. But Jesus is saying, no, there's, there's a little more to that, right? Because it's not a question of, is our belief, um, you know, just wrong? It's a question of what it's congruent with. We all hold beliefs, beliefs. It's where is it coming from? Does it match? See, notice what Jesus uses here. It's brilliant. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing inwardly, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, right? That there's this not matching of inward and outward. There's this way of approaching that that people seem like they're kind or nice, or they seem like they have the right motives or the right thing to say, but in the end, you just feel like you've just been in a train wreck, the same with the fruit, as you will recognize by their fruits are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, figs from thistles. He's saying, look, real fruit will manifest itself. And he's not saying you, 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 you know, look for fruit, it might be there. He's saying all of us have fruit. The charges against this are, 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 are the, the fact that not necessarily Christian belief, but behavior Think about this. One of the number one things I have and when I talk to people about issues of Christianity um, that, that are whatever they could be. It could be about uh, the women's role in the church. It could be about 
homosexuality. It could be so many of those kind of topics that come up in Christian circles. I would say 99% of the time when I talk to people about the struggles they have with those topics in, Christian, in the Christian church, it has to do with behavior more than some sort of theological treatise. It's the fact that they've been seen or been treated or been harmed by someone who has shown them what? That they're actually a ravenous wolf. And I want you to hear something from me. There's a difference between bad fruit and bruised fruit. Bad fruit is fruit that comes from a heart who wants to tarnish somebody. Bruised fruit is people, not, is all of us who are wanting to live out of the Christian belief of following Christ, and yet we don't do it perfectly. (laughs) See, that's the problem that Christians face is is that, is that there's, it's half truth. The, 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 the claims that are on exclusivity in the Christian church are half right. There is a reality that there are, is Christian behavior that just seems off. But the reality is that Christian belief, the, rea- the underneath what it comes from is right. Os Guinness said this, this way, he said, the decisive question isn't whether believers fall short of their beliefs, but whether those beliefs are true. Where does it come from? You see, what Jesus is talking about here with this isn't so much of the focus on the fruit, and that's what we want to do. What is a false prophet, right? The Bible actually spends tons of time on false prophecy, tons of time on this. Why would it? I mean, what, what makes, honestly, you know, if we read these passages, what makes Christianity different than anything else? If we just kind of took the fruit thing and we kind of walked with it and said, hey, you need to have better fruit. You need to live better in your life. But Jesus doesn't go there. He doesn't finish with the fruit, and that's what we focus on. See, false prophets, false teachers always focused on the fruit. They focused on you need, you need more fruit and you need better fruit. But what Jesus is talking about is the source. Congruence means the inward matches the outward. And isn't that what we struggle with the most, both in ourselves and what we experience around us? The matching, what it is. There's an incredible book called A Severe Mercy. It was written by a guy named Sheldon Van Auken, and he was actually not a Christian. He and his wife, uh, they lived in Oxford, uh, not Mississippi, Oxford, England. Um, and uh, they encountered Christianity, and, and that book is actually an incredible walkthrough of his life, even thought life, like biographically, him speaking out loud. What was it like for him to encounter Christianity in a certain number of areas, whether it be intellectually, behavior, or anything else? I want, I want you to hear what he says when he talks about encountering what Christians actually believed. What was happening was that our mind's gaze, almost without knowing it, was being directed towards the Christian faith. That animated our living contemporary Christian friends. We became interested, absorbed in the study of Christianity right from the start, though it was still only a study. After this period of reading various Christian apologists, Van Auken, he confessed this, I writhed a bit at the thought of my easy knowing nothing, easy know nothing, 
contempt of other years. In other words, he's saying that all these, these thoughts, all these things that he encountered, all these sound bites he had against Christian, Christian belief, because what he encountered in Christian behavior or saw were not what, was he, what he encountered in the scripture. He said, most of the people who reject Christianity know almost nothing of what they're rejecting. Thank God, if there is a God, he's not even claiming he is a Christian yet in this. If there is a God, we said, that we are at least looking seriously and honestly at this thing. See, Jesus is saying this. Jesus is saying the point isn't the fruit. The point is the source. The point is what is underneath. Congruence only comes from a source. You can work on your behavior as much as you want, but that is not going to change. See, there are parts of this that say and that talk about what's the difference in this fruit. And there's certainty and humility in Jesus' teaching. There is certainty that Jesus is saying to you and to me that there are false prophets and there are true prophets. That is what Jesus is saying. There is a doctrine that Christianity is putting out and it is saying this is the best way to live. This is the best way that the world works. This is the best way to understand the world. The difference between a false prophet and a true prophet is a false prophet said, this is the best way for the, how the world works. You need to conform the world to you. What Jesus is saying is, no, 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 this is the best the way the world is and your fruit conforms to how God has made it. Wisdom is that. It's bending the knee to that. He is saying there is a certainty. Look, look, take it for what he says. John chapter 10 says this about, and Jesus himself says this. John chapter 10 is another passage, another gospel written. And the verses say this, verses 10, chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not know the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them up and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. See, the difference between false prophets and true is a false prophet, once they realize that you aren't gonna take up their, their fruit, they leave you. Jesus did the complete opposite. If you think about Jesus' ministry, he actually puts himself in a position to be left. People walked away from him. He submits himself. He puts himself in a position. He doesn't change his teaching, but in complete congruence with who he is, he did something that was incredible. What his certainty of teaching, he, he, he brought the rich and the poor together. He sought people who were outcasts sexually, racially, and, and every other way, religiously. His teaching brought people that would normally, who were excluded to be included, and that even included Pharisees. You see, Jesus was the most congruent in this. He's the one who is in certainty his teaching. There's something about it. If we're really following his teaching, it actually radically transforms the way we see ourselves and this whole world. And it is a doctrine. It does say it's not all about you. Because it not only is about certainty, but it's about humility. You want to see marks of what it really means that you understand this. For you and I to really know what fruit is, a humility. See, instead, 
If you take this and you say, well, if I take this and I have to make my fruit better, this is false teaching. If you just think, I need to make my fruit better, I need to be nicer, I need to be kinder, then all you're doing is adding a set of rules that makes you superior again so that you feel like you're excluding other people. So that you feel like you're better than so-and-so. Ask yourself the question, is your heart becoming more congruent because you see yourself more repentant, more humble, willing to apologize, and see yourself not better than someone else who may be of another faith. Jesus encountered all sorts of people of different faiths. But the way he didn't, he didn't change his teaching. He didn't change the fact that he was saying, I am the Son of God, but what did he do? He approached, he was congruent in humility. He showed himself not better than, but in kindness. Are we repentant for the ways that we are unwilling? Because we think we have this truth that we act as though we got it ourselves, or we figured it out. A congruent heart is kind. It's kind to people in conversation. The reason we don't have conversations anymore and why I mourn so much that, that I, I mean, I put that pad in the back and why we're doing this series and why we're going along because I want to stir up in us not just the questions, but the way that we address them. Jesus not only addresses it in certainty, he does in humility. He never puts himself in a position just being farther above everybody else in conversation. That's what we're afraid of. We're afraid of disunity. What would it be like if we had a congruent heart of the shepherd that pursues us, not the hired hand, and actually had conversations of kindness that may not be in agreement, but not disagreeable? What would that look like? Wouldn't that be incredible? Wouldn't there be actual conversation around us? Couldn't we do that? See, a congruent heart is empathetic even to those who we disagree with. And even in ways. Look, it's not about perfect fruit. There's a difference, remember, between bad fruit and bruised fruit. We all have bruised fruit. <laughs> if there's anybody in here that thinks that our fruit is perfect, then we're missing it. It's about our bruised fruit. Bad fruit, you can't eat it all. Bruised fruit, oh yeah. We all have that, because there's only one who's produced perfect fruit. I was talking to Megan about this last night, my wife, and she made such a great point about, and I wanna give her all the credit for this, because it was such a great point that she said. She said, we live in a time now where we realize more than ever how much we're excluded. You know, before we had, you know, social media and those kind of things, we may know that we missed out on something. But especially now in our time, we can scroll and see how much we have missed out, how much we're excluded. And at the same time, we are longing to be included. At the same time, we use social media to try and connect, to be together, to be included and involved. We feel just as much, if not more, excluded than ever in life. I thought it was such an incredible insight, and isn't that true? Because what's the difference between this? I mean, if you're looking at this passages, what's the difference between these and anything else? It's this right here. It's what we come to in this table. 
It's the fact that Jesus shows himself different. I don't know if you noticed this, at the very beginning, we skipped over it, was the golden rule. And we read that often. It may be something, even if you're here and you don't know anything about the Bible, you've heard of the golden rule. You know that Jesus actually took that, the golden rule, the rule itself, was not originated by Jesus. It's actually even in Confucius and maybe the 4th, 5th century B.C. had his own version of that. But you know what the difference was? It was a philosophy that was passed down through the ages. Here's how the original went. The original said, don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you. You hear the difference? What Jesus says is do unto others what you would have them do unto you. It was a radical shift, and he says the entire law and the prophets hang on this. Why in the world would Jesus say on that sweet little phrase, the entire Bible, Old Testament, hang on that? Because it's active. It's about going out. It's not about, this is why I've said this before, this not, and you may have this sticker on your car, and I'm sorry if this offends you. It's not toleration. The Bible doesn't use the word tolerate. That's what the original golden rule is. What Jesus' version of the golden rule is is that we go. Why? Because he came. The law and the prophets hang on him. See, this table says something totally different. Totally different from that. See, the major difference of Christianity isn't in the morals. It isn't in, the, in all just the sermon. It's who is giving it. It's the process of how we're saved. See, this table is, is actually very exclusive because it's not your body and blood. And you and I can't come to this table and take from this table if we think we've earned it, if we think we have the right fruit, we can only come to this table if we come in Christ. You see, that's the difference. There's no other philosophy or religion that actually does that in the process of salvation. There are a lot of things. Just like the story of God, you can watch a lot of those and say, yeah, there are a lot of contingent things that are very similar. And that's a great way to connect to people, especially even if you're in this room and you're of a different religion or a different philosophy or thought. We can talk about those things. But I want you to hear that this table is exclusive because it comes through one person who said, I'm not like another teacher or prophet. I'm Jesus. I'm God. He's making claims that are unlike any other, but here's what blows the categories of this, that this table is not just exclusive, it's inclusive. It means there's no amount of your fruit that you can come forward and take. Christianity is not like anything else because what it is saying, the belief of Christianity and what transforms you and I to leave these doors and actually have meaningful conversations that don't harm others and we don't harm and we can mess up and repent and say I'm so sorry for the way I spoke that. The reason we can do that is because this isn't based on us. We don't come to this table because we made it or because we got it. We're included because he laid his life down. Isn't that incredible? It's the most inclusive exclusivity there's ever been. And you get to come to this table. If you're here this morning and you maybe have thought for years about, gosh, what's this about? I would, I would ask for you to either come talk to me or someone else in this room about what it means to be in Christ, be with Jesus. See, the last part of that whole passage 
about Lord, when they say Lord, Lord, is about religious people thinking they're close to Jesus when they're really not. Jesus doesn't want us to just have a bunch of good religious things. He wants us to be with him. It really is a relationship, not a religion. It's a relationship with a person, not a product, not your fruit, but with the person and work of Christ. Come to him today. If you don't know him, I I plead with you to come to know Christ. And if you would like to talk more about that, please grab me or someone else. And, And allow yourself to watch people come take this table or come up, fold your hands and receive prayer and just observe. See what the difference is in what we are founded on. Not in, not in the bruised way that we handle things so poorly. And if you're here this morning and you would say, you're a bruised fruit, <laughs> you produce a lot of bruised fruit, come to this table. Come to the source that heals and makes your fruit what it really is, edible. So that you can leave these doors and people can see that, that fruit and say, not, hey, look how great that person is, but look at the person behind it, the person of Christ. Let's stand together.